Good morning. How's everyone? All right, we can be honest with each other, can't we? And we're in church, right? We should be honest. How many of you are just tired? Right? I don't know if, it, if it's just me, but the wind has that effect on me. I just get mean when it's windy. Uh, I always said if there's a storm behind the wind, I'm down with that. I love storms. I love them. Um, but when there's wind and there's nothing to show for, oh, I just get irritated. Does anybody else feel the same way? It just wears me down. So I have that sense this morning. I felt in the first service, too, that we can just come into God's house and be like, Bleh, are you happy to be here? Well, the scriptural answer is, yeah, but <laughs> it is good to be in God's house. It's good to be in God's house, not because we feel like it, but it's just good to be in God's house. It's where we meet with him, hopefully. It's where we open his word and we hear from him. It's where we fellowship with one another. And it just has this pick-me-up effect, if you will, for each one of us. If we take advantage of it, you can come in and you can isolate. And you can just say, I don't, I'm not here to hear anything. I'm just here out of obedience. And you can leave and you can miss something. But um, it's also an opportunity for us to just connect with one another and, more importantly, to connect with God. It's always good, whether I feel like it or not, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? All right, so last week was pretty epic. It was big. Uh, Easter was fun. It was, I know churches all across the country were filled on the Lord's Day, on the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, for us as a church, we've seen an increase in growth for almost 20 years now of Easter attendance. And we thought we would uh, hit the, the attendance that we had last week about two years ago, and then COVID hit. Um, and so we took like a little rebound. And then so this year I told the guys, I really expect that we will have about 700 people, and we had over 700 people, a record attendance at Living Water for the first time ever uh, last week. And it was exciting. It's good to see that many people. It's also um, very difficult to connect with that many people. Uh, but can I just tell you something? The same Jesus that we worship and that we celebrated having resurrected from the grave is worthy of that same um, exuberance and joy and passion the week after Easter as well. Guess what? He's still risen. Amen. And he's worthy of our, our praise. And so, yeah, uh, last week, like I said, was a big, big week. And I think what we tend to do is, is churches, sometimes we treat this like the Super Bowl of Sunday. You know, Easter, it's the biggest day of the year for the Christian. And, and when it's over, we take it and we pack it up, you know, like in a box and we put it in a closet. And, man, I can't wait till Easter next year. And, and we have to remind ourselves there's a lot of other things that are very worthy of celebrating um, in Scripture. And so with that in mind... Think about the first Easter. Jesus comes out of the grave, and Acts chapter 1 tells us that for 40 days he was just hanging out before he ascended. For 40 days. That's a lot of time, right, if you're just walking around there in Israel. And so what happened in those 40 days? And so I started looking through Scripture, and we've had this theme in this year where we're just focusing on Jesus, and we're looking at who he is. That is his character. We did an I Am series that was, the point was just to say, this is who he is. This is his character, right? Who he is, what he did, we focused on that and the, the death, you know, the sacrifice, the burial, the resurrection, what he taught. We'll be doing a series in the summer called The Moral of the Story. We're just going to get some parables that Jesus taught and what they meant and then what it means. I'm really excited about that one. That'll come later um, in, in the year. But this is kind of going back to that what he did. 
Because what Jesus did in these 40 days, there, there are three things that just jump out to me that we're going to look at in the next few weeks. We'll take a pause for Mother's Day, celebrate the moms, but um, we're going to focus on those three things. He restores Peter, um, he commissions the apostles, the disciples to go out and be his witnesses, and he ascends. And that ascension is really cool because it um, kind of just uh, signifies a change in his ministry. Um, he finished his purpose and he's got a new ministry now. So looking forward to sharing that. with you over the next few weeks. So when you think about Easter and how great and how big that is, and then you look at this first thing, I want to look at the restoration of Peter. You're like, is that really that big of a deal? And the answer is it depends on whose sandals you're standing in. Because if you're, you know, in a good way and you've not failed like Peter failed, then Easter's pretty epic and this is not a big deal, right? Maybe it's for someone else. But if you're Peter... Can I just tell you that Peter's kind of like in, in, in a hovering pattern, if you will, because before the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, he did a really, really bad, epic thing, big failure, and he's still in, in, a, in a situation relationally with Jesus that he's wondering, are we good? I mean, what, thing, what do things look like after the resurrection, right? And so the story of the resurrection of Peter to me is so encouraging, especially to him, because he is restored there. And I'm so grateful that John chose to record that in his gospel. Amen? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't do it. I mean, all the gospels predict Peter's denial, and all the gospels tell us about his denial. You think you have it bad and that your failure will hang on to you for a year or two? Think about Peter, 2,000 years, and we're still ragging on him over it. It's in a book. And we read it all the time and we go, oh, Peter. And he's like, dude, I'm sick of it. Would y'all get off me? Right? And this was an epic failure, but I think it's there for a purpose. And I think that we can draw encouragement from it as well because we, like Peter, can fail sometimes. Raise your hand if you've ever failed. And the rest of you are lying through your teeth because we all fail from time to time. Here, confession time. I'll tell you what I did this week. So this week we had a group text that goes out in the church. There's about six to nine people in this group text. And it's like, hey, what do we need by supplies? Sam's, whatever. And and so we're always shooting back text messages. Here's what we need. Bring this for the well. We need some water. We need napkins, whatever. And I have the gift of sarcasm. God has gifted me with the, the, the gift of quick comebacks, all right? And so when something is said, I find something funny in it, and I just say it, right? Well, in this case, it was on a text message, and I'm riding my tractor, note to self, never use voice to text with a background noise of a tractor at the same time. <clears throat> so the, the question was, hey, can somebody remember to pick up some candy bars? We're doing a special thing here. Do that. And so I'm like, oh, here's my opportunity. And I get on there, and I push the little microphone, and I say, them, and I say, you know, I, start, I finish the sentence. Them students need to do blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I put the phone back in my pocket and kept driving my little tractor. A few minutes later, I get to the house, and I pull my phone out, and I'm like, my wife responds, honey, um, it's not for college, it's for, for high school, it's for the college students, and stop cussing. I went. <laughs> I look back at the text message that I had sent, and Siri, the devil, Siri, who hates me, changed the word them to that concrete structure at a lake that keeps the water from going over the edge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so everybody's just like... What do you say to the pastor when the pastor's cussing? And I'm like, Jody said, I had to look at my phone twice. Like, no, he didn't. And my wife, and then everybody's hoo-hawing and laughing. I'm like, dude, I promise I didn't cuss. That's Siri. She needs Jesus. She hates me. It's like the second time that's happened. So don't ride your tractor and do voice to text. 
at the same time. So, you know, it's a, a small, insignificant failure, embarrassing. But the reality is it can go from there all the way to some major, major failures. And I've covered some of those in my time as a pastor at this church. People come in and their whole life is upside down. It's wrecked because of a decision, a choice that they made. And so here's, if you don't get anything else I say today, hear this. We serve a God, a God who's merciful and loving, right? And and he, he doesn't wink at our sin, but we have a God who is a restoring God. And let me just go out this way a little further. No matter where you've been, no matter how bad you have failed, I want you to know that as long as you have breath in your lungs, you're never too late to be restored by God. That's the powerful gospel and the God that we worship and we serve. Amen? So to Peter's story, let's consider this. His epic failure and then Jesus' epic response. And I, I think it's epic for us because it shows us, it reveals us the heart of, of Jesus. So um, just a little background No, let's just go ahead and skip forward to Jesus' response. So John chapter 21, let's look at the text together. I love how this went down. Um, It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, he's resurrected. He's already seen them a couple times. He's proven to them that he was real. They were having some doubts. We talked about that last week. But now they know it's him. It says he appeared to them at the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Verse 2, several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. <clears throat> At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the, disciples, the disciple Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water the second time he would bail out of a boat, um, and he headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now listen to this, verse 15. This is the elephant in the room or the elephant on the beach in this moment with Jesus and Peter. Because up until this point, there's never been an address of what happened just a few days earlier. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Father, would you bless the reading of your word today? Would you open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you are a loving and forgiving and restoring God? And 
Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. I humble myself. Lord, just be glorified today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 21, John, not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but in John, we have this recorded restoration, um, reinstatement of Peter in ministry. He had this epic failure early on, and I love this. And I always want to mention, because we don't see it in the text here, but um, I believe it was Matthew and Mark both also included that Jesus told the rest of the disciples, all of you will desert me tonight. All of you will. And it goes on to say, after Jesus was arrested, and the, the disciples ran. It said they deserted him and they ran or they fled. In fact, I think it is uh, Mark, maybe Luke that says, I think it's Mark, who says one of the disciples was wearing just uh, like a tunic or whatever and when they grabbed a hold of that, he left it there and he said he ran away naked. I mean, they all deserted Jesus and they fled from him. But Peter, Peter did not even knew Jesus. And we see this beautiful restoration here in John chapter 21. And I, I feel like it's an encouragement to each one of us who have or will ever fail. Because the reality is we're humans, we're broken, and we're going to drop the ball from time to time. Especially in our relation and our devotion to Christ. Anybody ever done that? And, and so here we see the restoration. And I would say it's an epic response of Jesus. Because if Jesus responded to Peter the way we would respond to Peter or someone who hurt us or someone who let us down how many know Jesus is going to do it better and so he's our ultimate example and so looking back at um, Peter's epic failure and Jesus's epic response let's go back to his failure what caused the failure I I want to say we need to consider three things number one is we need to consider um, our own weakness Peter needed to consider his weakness Um, we need to consider his as in God's character in this case, Christ in this picture is like we need to consider his character and then we need to consider our response. What do we do with that? So back to considering the weakness. Peter was pretty confident as a disciple. We see this, you know, throughout the stories and the gospels. And it gets to the point where they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. And then Jesus in the upper room says, all of you guys are going to fall away. And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 not me. And it's as though he's like, I love you more than these other guys. Like he, he said it like this, like, even if all these other guys desert you, I, I'll never do it. Right? He's pretty confident. He was overestimating his, his weakness. He was overestimating his abilities. And he's like, you know what? If everybody else fails you, Jesus, I won't fail you. And then Jesus does that all familiar prediction. Peter, I'm going to tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny three times that you even know who I am. No, that ain't going to happen. Right, So he was pretty confident. We see another time whenever Jesus is, you know, when it says he was praying in the garden and his, his sweat was like blood droplets coming off of him. He was so burdened and anguished in his prayer. And he invites these disciples to go with him. And he says, hey, y'all watch and pray. Keep watch with me. He comes back a little later and they're all asleep. They've had a long night. There's been a lot of things going on, Passover. And he's like, you, you, couldn't you just watch for one hour? And then he says to Peter, Hey, watch and pray lest you give in to temptation. He says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, I need you to pray because Jesus knew what was coming for Peter. And he says, you need to be prepared for it spiritually. Watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Listen, I know your spirit wants to, it's willing, but the body's really weak. So we see another overestimation of himself. Well, he needed to be preparing for the possibility that Satan was going to come and tempt him and he was going to fail in a big way. We find him sleeping in the garden. 
When he is waked up, you know, when he wakes up and when Jesus is arrested and, you know, the Roman soldier grab him and it says that one of them, the other, the other gospels tells us it was Peter, grabs his sword out and he slices off the ear of the Roman soldier and Jesus rebukes him. In that instance, we see him relying on his own strength. Like, I'm going to just take care of this. I told Jesus I would be there and I would die with him and here we go. And we see in that moment his, his weakness and I think it's what led to his failure, he had a bad estimation of himself. And I say that to say this because I think we can all fall into that same problem or trap from time to time. We see other people fail, and we say things like, well, I can't believe they would do that. Man, you hear what happened to so-and-so the other day? Did you, I mean, it was in the newspaper. It was, it was in the news. Did you hear that, what they did? Oh, man, I can't believe it. Who would, who would do such a thing, or how could they do something like that? And we put ourselves in a position where we think it can't happen to us. And yet Romans 2 says that let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The reality is, is every one of us can screw up at any moment. Amen? And so he had this wrong estimation or unhealthy estimation of himself. And I just want us to realize that we need to recognize or consider our own weakness. That, you know what, every day when I wake up is a very, a very good possibility that I'm going to fail in some area of life. I'm not looking for it, but I realize that I live in a fallen world. I realize that I'm a fallen individual. And I realize that we give in to temptation. And it could just be at any second any one of us could fail. Here's the good news. When we fail. Not if, but when. When we fail, we have a God who's in the restoration business. And my friends, he's really good at it. And I'm thankful that he's in the restoration business. Amen? Because if he wasn't, he might be like us. You know, what do we do when someone lets us down? Maybe they fail us. We say, well, I want to trust you, but I can't trust you anymore. And so I'm going to pull that responsibility from you. Or I don't think I can control, uh, you know, trust you with the finances anymore. Or I don't trust you to be alone because last time you were alone, this happened. And I just, I'm a little skittish now. I don't. That's the way I would respond. But I'm so thankful that Jesus is not me. And when it comes to us and our walk, our faith journey, we're looking at who Jesus is, what Jesus did. I am encouraged to know that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. I'm encouraged to know that he is in the restoration business. And I've seen people for years and years and years that have been through that process and say, hey, let me tell you about the guy that I was. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Aren't you glad he restores? So consider our own weakness and the reality that we all Sin, we all struggle. Scripture makes that very clear. <clears throat> Secondly, let's consider his character because I think this changes everything. Because if you have a wrong view of who Jesus is or who God is, it might, it might change the way you approach the situation. For instance, Genesis, the fall of man. What happens? God says, hey, you can eat freely of all the trees, but there's that one tree over there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat that because the moment you eat it, you will surely die. The tempter comes. He won't die. Right? It convinces them, they take it, and, they, and immediately they realize that they were naked. They didn't know that before, but all of a sudden they had knowledge and they're like, um, we feel shame because we're uncovered, we're naked. And so, what does it say they did? They hid from God. Now, if you ever try to play hide and seek with God, you're not going to win, right? He's walking through the garden and says, Where are y'all? It's not because he didn't know. But the temptation for them was that the moment they failed was to run and to hide. And that's what happens with us too is we're tempted to just you know what pull back retreat hide in our shame and our guilt and our conviction and maybe even condemnation self-judging and the reality is is when you really truly understand the character of the one that we say we trust and the one that we rely on it makes it a whole lot easier for us to come to him in that moment of failure so let me help us out 
Um, I want you to consider this. They said before, if you want to know what God's like, just look at the life of Christ. And Christ showed us um, in, in a tangible form. But listen to what Psalm 103 says about how he revealed his character to Moses. It says, the Lord revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is his character, y'all. What a character. That's who he is, right? He is compassionate. He is merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. We're talking about failures. His love is unfailing, never fails. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And this is the one that always brings me comfort. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. See, God takes into account for us and our failures Because he knows, he created us, right? He knows what he created us from, and he knows that we're weak. And he says here he's compassionate, he's merciful, his his love is unfailing, he's not quick to anger, and he's always accused us as we deserve. His love is so great, higher than the heavens. I think that we need to understand the character of God, because I think the way we view God will determine whether we um, duck our head in shame and hide from him, or whether we're willing to come to him and receive that grace and that restoration and that, that freedom that he so wants to do that. In fact, um, another passage of Scripture in Isaiah 30, it says, uh, the Lord longs to be gracious toward you. Can you imagine him just longing to show his mercy to us? And so his character is just like, man, if there's a safe place to go in our failure, does it, does it not scream God is the one that we can go to? It's his compassion, his love. He longs to be gracious. He watches for us. I love the story of the prodigal son. You know, in that story, Jesus is revealing the heart of God there by telling a story about a dad who had sons. And in that story, he talks about this one son that just goes off and blows everything. I mean, epic failure. He's the one that you're like, you don't want everybody to know that's your kid. That was the prodigal son. And yet in that story, he tells, he, 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 he paints a picture of a father who is like, watching. I just see him looking down a long road every day waiting for the son to return. Because it says when the son was a long way off the father saw him and he ran to him. I love that imagery that we have a father who's watching for us, right? So he is longing for us to be gracious to us. He watches over us. And I love this in John chapter 21 we just looked at where he engages Peter. I mean he just Puts us in a position where, okay, now we got to deal with it, right? He's like, we're not going to ignore it. Uh, let's, the elephant in the room, it's the elephant on the beach. Let's talk about this. And so he brings Peter back full circle to the night when he betrayed him. Three times he says, do you love me? Three times Peter denied him. It's around a fire where they're cooking fish. Peter was standing around a fire pit smelling that same smell. I'm sure it's very familiar when Jesus is sitting there talking to him. And Peter is very uncomfortable in front of Jesus and he says, Peter, do you love me? I love that, that he reinstates Peter. What a beautiful picture of restoration there. But what I want us to be careful with is not to assume 
that it's just automatic, that it doesn't matter what I do. Hey, he's in the restoration business. It doesn't matter. No, no. There's a very, very key component in this whole story that I don't want us to miss. And it's not in John 21, but it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and earlier in John. And it's Peter's response when the rooster crowed. How many of you have an alarm clock or use your phone as an alarm clock? Right? Hate those things, right? So what does an alarm clock do? It, it wakes us from our slumber. We're in a deep sleep, and that thing goes up, eh, 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 whatever. And we're waking up from our slumber. It's like, hey, whoa, whoa, I need to come to my senses here. How many know that that's exactly what happened for Peter the moment the rooster? He had a rooster alarm clock. And what happened the exact moment that that rooster crowed? That was his wake-up call. Because up until that point, he just kept going forward with the denials, right? Do you know him? Certainly you know him. You look, you talk like, I don't know him. Curses be on me if, I, if I'm lying about this. I don't know the man. Rooster crows. Reality hits. Amen? Peter, all of a sudden in that moment, is like, oh my, what did I just do? Jesus said I would, this would happen, Right? To make matters worse, I think one of the Gospels, I think it's Luke. Luke says, at that moment, Peter looks and he sees Jesus looking back at him. Maybe by the light of the fires. How many know that was a pretty heavy look between Jesus and Peter in that moment? It's as though Jesus was saying, really, Peter? You don't know me? His failure was epic. It truly was epic, but the response of Jesus was much more epic. And so there was a repentance. Uh, let's just go back to where it says that he, he wept bitterly. He was sorry for what he had done. He, um, the Bible says godly sorrow leads us to repentance. And so there was this sense of I had done something terribly, terribly wrong. And I feel this sense of guilt, if you will, conviction. And I believe that's very important in our recovery process as well. we got to realize that what we've done is wrong and admit it. God, I confess I've sinned, Right? So don't miss that. Repentance is very important in the recovery and the restoration process. But we have a God who is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, unfailing love. But our role is to acknowledge when we failed and say, God, I am sorry for that. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And here's an encouraging thing, too. I love this. Jesus is omniscient. You know what that means? He knows everything. And we know this because he told Peter, Peter, watch this. Tonight, all of you are going to fall away on account of me. It happened. He said, Peter, tonight, before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. It happened. But here's something that we see also that I think is very important. Um, in Luke's account, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, we see the word you, and we don't see if we're saying like Texas, you all, or you personally, singularly. But I got this really cool Bible program that helps me see some of those things. And in this context, the New Living Translation helps us with that. Because it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. So Satan's like, hey, I want, I want a chance at the disciples. But look at what Jesus says, verse 32. But I, Jesus, have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, singular. Satan has asked to have you all, but Simon, I've prayed for you. You know why? Jesus knew what he was about to endure and what he was about to do. Jesus is omniscient. God knows. He takes that into account when he calls us. He knows that we're going to fail. And listen to this. He knew that he would fail, but he also knew that he'd be restored. He says, so when you have repented, 
He's talking to Peter. Before it happens, Peter, when you have repented and turned to me again. That's a very, very important part of restoration is repenting and turning. To repent means to turn around, to go a different direction, right? So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. You know what that means? I'm not through with you. Failure is not fatal. Failure does not define who you can become. We serve a God who wants to restore those who failed. And so I don't, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, or how big your failure is. You can bring it to me. I've probably heard it all at this point in ministry. And I, and I won't shame. I'll be like, okay, heard that before. But I got some good news for you. Good news for epic failures. We have a God who restores. And he's still in that rest- restoration business. Amen? So his character, why wouldn't we feel safe to come before him knowing that he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to get angry, he's rich in love, that he already knows. It's not like we're hiding it from him. To be able to come to him and say, Lord, I have failed you. Would you restore me? And so the response, I think that we might say, when did Peter's recovery or restoration begin I would say it was the moment that alarm clock for that rooster went off. Because in that very moment, he was awakened to the reality that he had desperately, you know, sinned against God. Like, man, I have failed in a big, big way. And in that moment, it says he went away weeping bitterly. He had this great, great sorrow. His repentance began way back then. What we see in John chapter 21 is just Jesus responding to godly sorrow leads to repentance. And Jesus is restoring Peter. And I'm so grateful that he included that in Scripture. We'll get to heaven one day and say, sorry, Peter, dude, we ragged on you pretty hard. I mean, for thousands of years you've been ragged on, but I'm so grateful your story was included in the Gospels because I've made some mistakes myself. And your story helped me to see how awesome God is. Amen? So I think sometimes we hesitate uh, because we think that Jesus will respond the way we would respond. And I know how I'd respond, right? And I'm just so thankful Jesus is not me and I'm not Jesus. And sometimes I think that that determines how we respond to our failure is because we think that Jesus is going to respond the way that we would. But just keep this in mind. Matthew chapter 12, um, Matthew is quoting Isaiah 42. And in this, he's given like a description of the Messiah, Jesus. And there's this one verse in there that has always been precious to me. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a little flickering, small, you know, Fragile flame he will not snuff out. That's who we're talking about, Jesus. So a bruised reed he will not break. What is that? A bruised reed is not sturdy. Um, it's very flimsy. It's very insecure. And, and it, like you just cut it off and throw it away. And, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. A bruised reed he will not break. He's gentle. He's compassionate, right? He, it can be repaired. That's what I get out of that. And a flame that's just barely flickering. Have you ever had a fireplace and you just look in there and you see no fire anymore, but you see some glowing coals? How many know that can be reignited? And that's what I think about when I think about Christ. It's like, hey, a small, tender flame. He doesn't go and snuff it out. But he can reignite that flame in us again. Do you realize how awesome this idea of Jesus being a restoring Savior is? I mean, Easter, he is risen. He is risen indeed. It's pretty, pretty cool. But I take a lot of comfort in knowing that he restores. And guess what, church? He still does. And so the question is, what do you do? Where are you at? I mean, you're here today, and you're like, Shane, nobody knows about this except me and God. Even in that, he wants to, he longs to restore you. 
right? And here, here's the thing. There's somebody else that has a, an agenda for you. It's Satan, and Satan would love nothing more than us to waller in that guilt and that shame and to hide ourselves from God and to stay so far away from restoration because when we're there, we're rendered you know, useless from Satan's perspective, and he'd love nothing more than to keep us stuck there in that pit. And so my counsel to you today is this. Run to Jesus. He's a safe place. Run to him and your, your failure with your repentant heart, with your sorrow, and say, I confess to you, God, that I've, I've sinned, and I know you're a safe place to go, and would you please restore the joy of my salvation, restore me to what it once was and continue to use me. And we know scriptures filled with stories of God using people who screwed up big time in the past, right? So I would say just come clean with God because he already knows. And let me just throw this in as an aside. David and I were talking this morning, but I think another element that we should consider too is a church because how many know churches are sometimes really good at shooting the wounded? You know what I mean by that, right? One person in the church has a misstep. They fail in a big way. And the rest of the church, because they're having a holy day, feel like they're in a position to say, I can't believe they did that. And we just shoot the wounded. Let us keep in mind that Jesus' response to those who failed should be our response as well, that we are tender and compassionate as well. I mean, it doesn't mean we ignore the truth, right? We have to speak truth when we speak truth. Uh, but let's just make sure that we understand the same way that Jesus loves and was compassionate, we are to also be the same way with one another. Amen? <laughs> That'll preach. I won't talk about it today. That's, that's all you're going to get. So I would say this. Um, I had the opportunity to sit down with my, my son and, and Chase Christie. They have this podcast called G3 with Tanner and Chase, and you know, they're just trying to share some wisdom at their age. It's pretty cool. And so they invited the old man to, to come on and speak about failure. And I don't know if I should be offended or encouraged, like, why are you calling me? I was like, because I've never failed right now. But I just like, what? And so I had an opportunity to share with them just some things that God showed me along the way. And I gave them an acronym, and I'll share it with you quickly. It's like, what do we do when we fail? Because I think failure is not fatal, and it doesn't have to define who we are. The first thing I would say is A, and like Zig Ziglar says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? So I use this target, this idea. The A is to admit it. How many know the, the first step is just admitting that we've done something wrong? Acknowledge it. Admit it. All right, I have sinned. I have failed in a big way. I own it. I'm not hiding it. I'm not blaming anyone else. I admit it. I have failed. That's a big part of it. That's the A. The I would say improve. Now, improve, um, in this case, in Peter's case, would be including repentance. That means to turn, to change your position, to change your location. It's like, hey, this has got me in a bad way with God, with my fellowship. And so to improve would be able to turn around and to walk a different route, right? Uh, for those on this side of failure, having not failed yet, it might mean this. How do I sure up my life so that I don't slip into one of those failing moments? What can I do to keep that from happening to me? I would say get to know God and his character and his word, right? And I would say pray. What is one of the prayer in the model prayer? Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because how many of you know that the same enemy that wanted to take out Peter is still working today? You know what? Here's, here's how I know Peter got it. This same Peter that screwed up big time, who was restored later in 1 Peter 5, 8, says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He missed it on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. And later he's telling us, Hey, guys, wake up, be sober. There's an enemy that wants to take you out. Amen? 
So improve. Like, get to know God, get to know his word, get to know his conviction. And so what happens is when we sin, when we step across the line, it's like this alarm goes off that reminds us, hey, that was wrong. We call it conviction. The Holy Spirit brings convictions. Like, the things that I used to do that didn't bother me at all, I could do it all day long. And like the funny text message earlier, no big deal 30 years ago. But there's something in me now. I was like, man, I, I don't want that to cause somebody else, you know, to... Man, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. There's just this conviction in me that like, when I step over a line, that immediately is like, that was, not, that was not correct. That was wrong for you. Amen? So admit it, improve. And the last one I think is extremely important is move forward. Because Satan wants to stay stuck, us to stay stuck in that grief, that self-pity, that failure, and never, ever rise above it and never make a difference in the world. And God is in the business of restoring. And you look through all the different people in the Bible that he's used. And has he not done it over and over and over again? People who went beyond their failure and did some great things. And so church, failure is not fatal for you and me. And it doesn't have to define us. When we fail, repent of it. Turn to him and move beyond that mistake. And say, you know what? We don't hide from it. It never happened. We're like, yeah, it did happen. And let me show you how God worked through it. I'm not the same guy today that I was back then. And it's all for his glory. Amen? So good news for epic failures. God is a God of restoration. He is really, really good at what he does. Amen? Father, I just want to thank you so much for the, Lord, the good news that... Um, First off, that you're omniscient, you know all things, and, and you know what we're going to do. You know when we're going to fail, before we fail, you say that you remember our frame, you know that, and you remember that we're just dust. You created us out of the dust. And so, God, I know that you're gracious and you're merciful on us, and I think we are harder on ourselves than maybe you are. And I just pray that today you would just encourage us beyond the resurrection, that we look at these, these events, these monumental events. I'm sure for Peter it was it was refreshing um, to experience your restoration and Lord I know that it's the same thing for all of us when we come clean before you and I pray that if there's anyone here today that's carrying a burden a secret a lie Lord first off that they know it's not to you because you know it already and so they're not hiding it from you but nobody else knows but you I pray that today would be the day of their first step that they would admit they're wrong or they would acknowledge it and they would take a step towards recovery restoration by repenting and being sorrowful for uh, their sin, knowing that you're a safe place, and Lord, that you are merciful, you're compassionate, your love is unfailing. Lord, I, I just ask that they could see you for who you truly are and run to you for that restoration. Lord, for the rest of us, and as we just do life together and we rub shoulders with those who make mistakes regularly, God, I pray that we would also have a right heart and a right attitude toward them, that we would not do anything differently than what Christ would want us to do, that we would love and restore, gently bring people back onto the path where they need to be and um, encourage one another, sharpen each other, spur one another onto good works. But Lord, do it with compassion and love um, and tenderheartedness. And so Lord, we thank you. Father, for the hope that we have in the resurrection, we thank you for, uh, Lord, revealing your character to us. Thank you that you just revealed that to us today in the scripture, to the story of Peter, how you restore us. And there's no place too far that we can go beyond your, uh, your rescue. And so, Lord, I pray that if there be someone here today that says, that's good news, but I don't feel like it's good news for me because I've done far worse. Lord, just 
Help us to remember all the many examples in Scripture of people who have done far worse than what we've done thus far. Lord, that if we truly turn from our sin and trust you, Lord, that you will receive us and you will restore us. So God, would you be honored and glorified in our lives. And as we leave this place today, let it not be just a Sunday morning only where we acknowledge you and then Monday through Saturday we go out and deny that we know you by our actions and our words. God, help us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been called to. And we do this for your glory and for your honor. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.